welcome to The Guide Sessions, a podcast where we talk about stories of adventure through the tales of the guides who experience them. I'm your host, Jim Aiken. Welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Jim Aiken. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your support. If you like what you hear, feel free to rate and subscribe. Now, on today's episode, we are continuing our conversation with Jonathan Bush, owner of Grouse Mesa Outfitters. To hear the beginning of the discussion, go ahead and jump back one episode so you don't miss any of the details. So, without further ado, here is part two with Jonathan Bush and myself on the Guide Sessions podcast. But since the kid stayed on the horse, his horse started dancing, especially when I rode off with two horses, his horse wanted to come. Oh, yeah. So it started really prancing around, and, and he was just pulling back and pulling back, and the hunter told me that every time the horse would would answer around, he just yanked back on the bridle and just pulled the reins back. Mm-hmm. And the horse started rearing a little bit, and oh. he would just harder and harder and just kept pulling and pulling. And the horse started rearing, and it was jumping higher and higher. And eventually, the horse jumped completely over on itself. Oh, man. And the saddle horn came down and, and squished this guy's stomach area. Mm. It was horrible. Yeah. By the time it happened, I was probably a quarter mile away up on the hill getting close to this hunter. And it was a pretty calm, pitch black, clear night, lots of stars. And I hear through the night sky, Jonathan! Get <laughs> like, oh no, what happened? Yeah. I was like, whoa, should I go back and talk to him? Should I go get this guy? And then he's like, Jonathan, get back quick. So I just turned around and ran back down there. I get there, and the kid's laying on the ground, moaning and groaning. Uh huh. And they tell me what happens. You know, I feel him around and. You know, look at him. He, he's not obviously, he doesn't have injuries that are showing. Insides hurt. Okay. Well, I asked him if he could get on the horse. And he said, no, no horse. He didn't want to do it at all. Mm-hmm. So we're four miles from camp again, from the cabin. It's like, well, crap. And I still got to go get that guy who's scared of the dark. <laughs> right. Now I got to take this kid back. What do I do? Well, I told them, you guys just stay here. I'm going to run, get that guy, bring him back, and then I'll run to the cabin and get help. Right. So I went and got the guy, and he stayed there in the dark the whole time. He ended up shooting a bull that evening. He got a bull. Oh, awesome. And so he had shot the bull, tracked it a couple hundred yards, and came back and was just waiting for me. Mm Mm-hmm perfect he did right what he yeah what that's we, perfect what he should do it's like well we'll have to get your bull tomorrow right now this other kid got hurt so we got to go back and got to go get some help so i took him back to where the hunter and the kid were and then i ran back to the cabin and got some help we, we ended up getting a side-by-side ranger and finding a way to drive to him and we got him in the ranger and we getting off that hill in the dark was so hard we we tried and tried but it's a very steep place you can't get on and off it with a ranger or anything Mm -hmm. most of the there's only one little way could the guy walk at all or was he just completely immobile he was just moaning and groaning he didn't want to walk he could walk but he didn't want to okay i think he could have rode a horse it would have been way faster for him to ride a horse but Mm -hmm. he did not get on a horse you know which is understandable he had a tra- traumatic experience there. yeah yeah he just caught a you know <laughs> a horn to the stomach yeah so short story we we get him back to the cabin we rush him to the hospital and he had some issues that they needed to take care of right away and they did and he he's okay um but if i would have been a little more strict i guess i don't know what the word is 
a little more insistent, I guess, could be. Yep. If I'd have just made him get off the horse, that could have been avoided. Right. But uh, lots of crazy stories like that. You know, people scared of the dark, hiding with their arrows under a tree. Mm -hmm. One of the guides once, this is uh, a funny story for me. Okay. His first year out there, we had a horse called Coconut. She was white, an albino horse, pure white. She had bluish white eyes. She was super light. Uh, so he took Coconut out with some other horses, and I try to teach all the guides every year how to tie a bowline knot. You probably recall this. Mm-hmm. And try to tie your horse up with a bowline. That way when they pull back, if they pull back, you can untie it. Now, hopefully they don't pull back. Well, this guy ended up tying his horse to aspen tree with a bunch of granny knots. I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Big, a bunch of overhead mess. knots or something probably. Well, he uh, came back with his hunter after dark, and he just found the halter uh, hanging on the tree. Oh. And he, his hunter's horse was there, but his horse was gone. Mm-hmm. And it was coconut. No. And he came back, and he was about in tears and crying and holding up the halters like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and I said that's okay she's going to come back here she knows where is and we just turned the flashlight out and shined it around the corral oh there she is right there (laughs) (laughs) she beat him back to the cabin (laughs) yeah that happened to me when we were at a spike camp you know we had that little horse corral pasture outside the tent and I had Blue, and Blue jumped the the little fence there in the middle of the night and was just out feeding in the you know in the meadow there. And I walk up to Blue to you know try and get the halter back on and you know and and you know and catch it. Just took off running and I was and the hunter's like, "Where's it going?" I was like, "Back to the cabin." I said, "And it ain't gonna stop between here and there." <laughs> so and, and sure enough. I, can't, I think I came back that afternoon and like everybody was like, so, who lost Blue? <laughs> and I was like, that was me. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. There's a lot of stories that I have similar to that. When I was a rider out on the forest land around this private, this is in Unit 52 in New Mexico, and our private's in Unit 4. But I was a range rider for 52. There's a Carson National Forest there. And I had a cow camp. I had bunches of them all over the place. And every time I would, sometimes I'd get off with a horse to fix some fence or doctor a calf or do something. It didn't happen too often, but I think there's three times when I lost my horse and it went back to camp. <laughs> what camp did the horse go back to right really think oh what is this horse thinking it's going to go back to one of those camps but which one's the closest or or which one's the easiest to get to Mm -hmm. sometimes i'd have to go check two or three campsites (laughs) there's the horse okay but they're they're smart yeah go but that same hunter, or I'm sorry, guide that had coconut, when you put the halter on the horse, it's kind of, you got to, you know, pull the slack out of it and put it on correctly. If you, the halter was loose as a goose, and I bet she was rubbing her ears mm. and just flipped right out of the and halter. And popped it, yeah. And he tied a granny knot. And uh, he couldn't untie it himself. Mm. <laughs> I, th- I think he did. Another time, he tied the granny knot, and a horse pulled back. 
and he could not untie it, so he had to cut the halter. Oh, man. Several times I've had guides do that. Mm-hmm. Why would the horse pull back? You know, there's little tricks with the horses when you're walking up with them from behind in the dark. You might want to, hey, horses, I'm coming in. Mm-hmm. Just talk to them. Let them right. know you're, don't surprise them or spook them. That could be naturally. I would do that anyways, but other people that aren't around horses all the time, they they walk right up and then throw a, pull a coat out of their backpack and fling it in the air or something to put it on. And the horse would be like, whoa, whoa, where'd you come from? Yeah. It's something I kind of did naturally coming back at night and, you know, had the headlamp on getting close to the horses. I'd see their eyes. I'd just start saying, oh, there you guys are, you know, like glad to see you, you know, and then y'all just kind of look at you like, okay, we know who you are and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, no big deal. But, uh, but what about some hunting stuff? What are some of your favorite stories that you got from, from all these years of hunting? Cause who knows how many hunts you've guided over all these years. I mean, you're probably triple digits and above. Yeah, uh, for sure. It's, uh, I'm looking at the pictures on the website right now to help me recall some stories. Um, the first year, one of the guys, he's legally deaf. He can't hear anything. Hmm. I don't know if I know this one. He's, uh, he was a long distance sharpshooter. It was very good. He he could hit stuff from long ways away, and that that's kind of what he wanted to do on this hunt. He had it in his mind. He wanted a challenging shot. He didn't want to just walk up to an elk at 100 yards or have an elk walk up to him at 100 yards and just shoot it and done like that. So he uh, he was come with a group out of California. And uh, his comrades brought his daughter, not the the deaf guy's daughter, just one of his buddies came with his daughter. His daughter was 12 years old. Okay. And they all had cow tags. They'd never been elk hunting before. And this little girl brought a little stuffed elk, just a little tiny one. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was the coolest thing. She was like the joy of the camp. She kept the, the atmosphere really lively and, and fun at uh, the cabin. That's cool. time we got. And she would give that little elk to somebody and say, it's your day to shoot an elk. Oh. And I'll be saying if whoever she gave the elk to, they got an elk. Really? It was the funniest thing. It was pretty neat. Well, she uh, gave it to that guy that was deaf said mm-hmm. you got to shoot an elk i guess he'd had several chances to shoot an elk but it was too close and too easy he didn't want to do it i was like well okay that's fine it's your hunt right you know, that, as a guide and an outfitter take people to see the elk and that's our job whether they want to shoot it or not that's up to them and so he he passed on several opportunities because it was, wasn't what he was looking for. He was looking for the challenging shot. Well, he was hunting with this little girl and she, they ended up walking up on some elk and she got a, a good shot at 70 yards and she got her cow. Mm. Okay. Awesome. And it was just starting to storm. Now the wind was picking up and little rain was spitting and she looked at him and said, remember, I gave you the elk. You got to shoot one. <laughs> well, this same group of elk that she shot her cow out of just made a big horseshoe. And this is up in, in what we call slaughter meadow, uh, on that North East rim of slaughter meadow. Okay. And she shot her elk there, and that elk, that little herd of elk ran in a big horseshoe all the way around to the other side of the meadow. Ended up being about 450 yards oh. in a, a heavy wind and rain. And the guy's like, oh, this is perfect. 
So he hopped down and shot his elk through oh. a, a rainstorm with a heavy crosswind at 450 yards. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a challenging shot for him. About the only thing he probably could have done is, you know, have him position him to shoot between two trees with a one-foot gap, you know? Right. Uh, sometimes hunters come with different expectations. I wouldn't have thought that was an expectation, but that's what he was looking for. Um, a lot of times people hold out for a bigger bull and you hear that a lot of times they'll pass on a smaller bull mm-hmm. and that's, but passing on a easy shot, that's different. Especially that's when it, it was, it was just a cow tag, right? Yeah. yeah. He just wants a challenging shot. So now he can say, I shot a cow in a, a rainstorm at 450 yards. Yeah. With a 50 mile an hour crosswind. <laughs> and some people would say that's, bragging you know mm-hmm. and a little braggy but for him it's this is what he wanted yeah i mean it that's a little different i mean it, when if that's your goal and that's your objective that's where it kind of goes from succeeding in the sense of accomplishing what you want to do versus bragging you know i think i think there's a line there that you know when you set that goal of shooting that difficult shot and it came through even though it's just a cow you know it's still still a sense of accomplishment Yep. Uh, another cool story. Um, looking back, one of the first years. Uh, this is when we started what we call Operation Eagle Eye. This is how this all came to be. Okay. What we call Operation Eagle Eye is when we get a spotter up on the river and you can look down across the river and see a long ways. So you can see so much more up there than somebody that's down on the river or across the hill they they can only see you know to the tree line around them well we had one hunter left and lots of extra people to help we're like well we're going to be a team and we're going to hunt together we'll help this guy you know fill his tag so i sent a guide up on top of the river to scout for elk and he spotted one coming down the river, just up the hill from the river, but just paralleling the river. And he was about a mile down, and we were coming just at daylight at the bottom of the river. And he let us know the elk is over there. He's going to cross Brittany's Hill here in a few minutes. So I told the hunter, we got an opportunity to get a bull up here, but we got to hurry. When we were on horses and you run on a horse and he says well i haven't fallen off yet <laughs> give it a shot so we ran on the horses down the river is upstream up the river i guess okay and we got oh about 400 yards from Brittany's hill and right then the sun was just peeking over you know, just those first morning rays were, and they're right behind us from the elk's point of view. Mm-hmm. So we had that in our advantage. The sun was peeking up, and so the elk probably couldn't see us all that well. We were we ran on horses, and the elk was just trotting parallel in the river. And he kind of, as soon as we seen him crest the ridge, we hopped off our horses and put their noses together and we just knelt down in front of them and the elk just kept he looked at us like huh and then he just kept coming hmm. and then he looked at us again and he turned broadside and stopped kind of like he was asking for a bullet <laughs> well this hunter you know this was my first experience guiding a hunter with a short mag he was using a 300 short mag and he's you know he got his bullet loaded and safety off got him on the shooting stick and he hits the elk how far was the shot it was right at 300 just under 300 yards okay the elk kept coming to us a little bit before he turned broadside so it's a a fair shot it's Mm -hmm. not close But it's not a desirable hit where he hit this elk. He ended up breaking its back leg. Mm. And so the elk starts limping up the hill. 
And I was like, oh, we got to go. We got to catch this elk. (laughs) (laughs) So we're, we hopped back on the horses and we ran up another 150, 200 yards. By this time, the elk had been going up the hill. We got up and I says, okay, he's, and the elk was just over another crest in a low spot. We got to tike up here and, and get over this crest so we can shoot him again. Well, the hunter, it's a good thing we hopped on the horses when we did to close the distance. There's absolutely no way this hunter could have made it up mm-hmm. that hill. Fitness got in the way of him. Yeah, the elk probably would have gotten away. Or mm-hmm. we'd go back to the horses and trail the elk until we got close again. But we ended up trying to crest this hill, and the hunter was just so out of shape. This is only a 50-yard climb. Not very far. But the air's thin, and he wasn't used to it. Mm-hmm. So he's just huffing and puffing. We crest the hill. The elk's right there. The elk was maybe 100 yards at this point. Not very far at all. The hunter, I think he shot seven times. Missed every one. <laughs> he ran out of bullets. And he had more in his backpack. And the elk started, you know, hobbling up the hill again. I'm digging through his backpack, trying to find his bullets, give him some more bullets. And he reloads again. Finally hits the, the elk in the neck and, and puts it down. We end up walking up closer and shooting it again. Now, what I didn't say was how many times his gun jammed. And how upset this hunter got. He was so mad at his gun because he kept short stroking the the bolt. Okay. On those short mags, it happens so often. I see it every year, two or three times a year. People with short mags will short stroke it and then they'll slam it back in in the rush to get their bullet rechambered. Mm-hmm. And they'll jam it in crooked or they'll slam it sideways and and stuff just happens. Uh, we've had bullets get pushed in sideways and uh, try to get two bullets jammed in there at once. And anyway, there was a mess. And this guy was really frustrated. He was frustrated at his gun. He was frustrated at himself. Uh, he was huffing and puffing, so he wasn't getting the oxygen he needed. Mm-hmm. It ended up. He ended up getting the elk. You know, we ended up walking right up to it, and he was able to finish it off a lot closer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and that elk was a very nice elk. He ended up being a six by six, and he had bright orange antlers. You know, what I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. That was my first, my first chance to see, and you could smell it. Oh, it was smelled like cedar mm. so much. And, uh, so I was like, well, that bull was definitely coming in from some other country somewhere. Right, right. And the way he was traveling, he could cover a lot of ground in a short time. But uh, So the short mags, they seem to cause problems more than other. More than not, or at least, or at least the, the big takeaway from that is if, you shoot, if you're shooting a short mag, make sure that you cycle it completely. Don't short change the stroke on the short on the bolt. Because it happens quite often that they don't clear the chamber and then when in the rush to put another one in there, it just jams in there and then your gun's stuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of to real quick jump off the hunting thing, because I, I know we've talked, we've mentioned it a couple times um, about the altitude, you know, because what, what's, what's the cabin? Is that what, 10 2? Yep. Right? And, right. uh, so yeah, the majority of the hunting that's done out on the ranch is 10,000 and above. Um, yep. is there anything that you do to recommend to people who are yep. flatlanders like myself and are going to go try and chase elk or anything up in the mountains in, in high country? Well, there's a couple of things you can do. You know, sometimes people say <laughs> it was a joke this year. I heard it for the first time. It was funny. One of the guys worked out on an elliptical and was really working out hard. And he came up there and all that workout seemed to pay it, didn't pay off. He was huffing and puffing just like crazy. And his buddy that was watching said, 
I'm in the same, you're in the same boat as I am. And I didn't put any effort into getting. <laughs> I didn't that train and, and I'm, st- and you're suffering just with me. Yep. That was kind of funny. But a- actually the guy that did train, I'm positive that he was better off because of his training. Mm-hmm. May not have been able to see that from the first look. But I'm sure he re- his recovery time was faster than if he hadn't worked out. Mm-hmm. So anything anybody could do to prepare yourself. I've had some people in archery season, they'll hold a five-pound weight out their car window practicing holding the bow. Hmm. Wow. And I that actually worked. Yeah. Packed his bow, and he says, when I first tried to pack the bow around, it was so hard on my shoulder and my arm. And so I packed a five pound weight around every time I was driving. And so I've never cool. heard of that, but I can only imagine just driving down the road and seeing some guy's dumbbell <laughs> hanging out the window. Oh, I could now, now next time I see that, or if I, oh, I can't say next time when I see it, I'm like, all right, man, thumbs up. Keep working that bow arm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think anything anybody can do physically to help yourself will help yourself. It yeah. may not your lungs for the altitude but it'll help your muscles in your body to recover and get used to you know getting a little strain as far as pure altitude the only thing that you can do is to get in it you have a chance to to get to altitude before your hunt and acclimate before that's a really good idea mm-hmm. a lot of hunters are able to and they can stay, spend a week or so gradually climbing in altitude you go to the san luis valley that's a great place to start starting at seven thousand, it may not be quite a shocker like going to 10 Mm -hmm. and then just hydrated a lot of times when you're in altitude it feels colder and your body naturally you think i don't want to drink too much water and so you'll get dehydrated it's very dry up there and so stay hydrated keep on top of of that you know a lot of people get headaches and a lot of that i think is due to dehydration mm-hmm. as well as the altitude and so stay hydrated work out as much as you can and try to act beforehand if possible yeah that's, that's all it's all that's all good stuff i know i've i definitely experienced some things i'll admit there's been there's been years out there where i have been in shape and I haven't been in shape or as good as shape. And I've definitely noticed the difference between the years that I was really in tip top shape versus not as tip top shape. And just the experience was so much easier to, uh, to enjoy the more shape I was in. Right. I, I've told people that, uh, you won't regret anything you do to prepare because it will make the experience better. Mm-hmm. Even though that one guy joked around, uh, you're in the same boat as me, and I didn't even work out. Right. But imagine if you didn't work out. Mm-hmm. What, or even worse, just the recovery time. If you hike a hill, if you have to wait five minutes, that's not not as good as if you only have to wait 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you're chasing an elk, and you only got a window that's a minute long. So if you can get there in 30 seconds and, and shoot, you'll have a good experience that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about, um, so to jump into the back into the hunting stories a little bit, what about, do you have any things where like you messed up and you're like, man, I wish I could have had that opportunity back or calling scenario or you wish you could have done something different or even like a calling scenario or any kind of scenario, not doesn't have to be calling, but just like, everything worked out exactly how you had planned and kind of dig, dig into those a little bit. Sure. There's a uh, several times where the setup isn't just perfect. And so you want to take that one more step and that's the step that gets you. I've got a, a story to take a hunter out who, came out the year before and shot a, a, a nice five by five bull and was looking for something better and we ended up 
finding a bull that was consistently coming up first draw behind slaughter Mm -hmm. and this was a big bull a nice big bull and this was later in the season this was fourth season so it was cold and this bull was alone Uh, he was all alone nothing with him well i took the hunter down and we were sneaking in early early in the morning before sunup and it was just getting gray and we could see down first draw but we couldn't see anything and so i was like well let's just walk around these trees another 10 feet and we we got almost around the tree and i was like there he is he's right there and we sat down and we got the shooting stick and we could have shot him right there but we had little branches in our way and i said why don't we take one step out from the tree get out from those branches there was little icy crystals on the ground so it was crunchy Mm. that what that elk was feeding he had no idea we were there we we got lucky thus far i don't know how he didn't know we were there right because it was crunchy but he was just feeding he was probably Chewing on a hard piece of grass right at the moment we made a crunch or something. <laughs> Never thought, chewing hard, he's crunches on cornflakes. <laughs> well, that last step, he heard us, took one look at us, and ran down the hill. Oh. And I was just like, oh, man, he was 200 yards. He was, a you know, a, a 300 class 6 by 6 Oh, Nice. Man. And the hunter was just like, ah. Oh. It's like the thing to do would have been to just, you know, maybe move the branches down with a stick or, or break them off or or try to position yourself to shoot through the branches instead of taking that last step. So yeah. I, I would redo that one over. Yeah, there's been a couple times where I've gotten picked off trying to move. You know, you just get impatient really is what it comes down to. And you're just like, oh man, I see it. I just want to just get a different position. But then, you know, it, I, I'm always of, of the rule like, if you can see the elk, the elk can see you. You know, mm-hmm. whether whether you're behind a tree, in a tree, it doesn't matter. Um, they're going to see something. The less you can move once you get in that position where where you're viewing, the better. Even though I think we all experienced, and I talked about this in in the episode before, is with elk, sometimes they don't spook right away. Like, they'll see something, they'll get curious. And it's not like a whitetail where it's going to, the second it sees you, it's it's going to bolt and then and then worry about it. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I make a joke sometimes with the hunters. The best way to hunt elk is with the sun in your eyes and the wind at your back. <laughs> and that's a joke because you don't want the wind at your back. Mm-hmm. And you don't want your eyes. Right. But they know that earlier story, the sun was in the elk's eyes. And so I learned from that moment, he looked at us and then kept coming and then looked at us and kept coming. I was like, he couldn't see us very well because the sun. Yeah. I've actually used that tactic several times or, and thought about it, you know, consciously. If we get to this point, wait for the sun to just peek over, we can sneak in and they won't see us. Mm-hmm. And it's it actually works. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, there's no reason. It's not like they've got like a ball cap on like we do. Shade the sun from our eye. They're, they're completely exposed. I can only imagine that them staring at the sun is no different than us staring at the sun. It's hard to do. You know, you can't quite focus. So it makes perfect sense. Yep. There, uh, another story about patience. You know, we just talked about being patient and, and waiting. We caught this big herd crossing the river going up south canyon and the, and it was a, like a 300 count big herd and there was quite a few bulls in there and they went up south canyon and i was with this hunter and we we snuck around and followed them and they were going into the wind so we were behind them and we just couldn't quite get them couldn't get them we finally snuck up once the ridge once the the canyon split we could go up a, a, another ridge we booked along there and we, we caught the last bull and we shot him. And this hunter's partner 
was the last one to get filled out. And so after we got that bull, we followed this herd all the way across everything down North Canyon and up across the potholes and to the border of our place. And most of the elk went into the neighbors. And I was with this other guy and, and we were on foot the whole way. And he was, he was a young kid. He was a, uh, MMA fighter, I guess. And he was big at uh, being tough. So I was like, well, let's see what you got. <laughs> Here's a test of <laughs> test, buddy. Here we go. Keep up with yep. me. <laughs> he did pretty good. Uh, not as well as I thought for how, how big he spoke <laughs> uh. about himself. But we got to the fence line, the little group of trees down in the meadow behind the potholes. Okay. And we just, and I said, you know, let's just sit here. There's elk all over the place. Let's just wait. So we waited. About 20 minutes later, a, a cow was coming with a bull following her from the neighbors, jumped the fence, walked right up maybe five yards past us. Mm. Really close. <laughs> they turned and went and broadside at 50 yards, and the guy shot him. Boom. Oh, awesome. And I was like, see, he he wanted to just quit and go back because he, he thought he was done. He wasn't going to get one. I was like, let's just be patient. You never know what could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes you just got to wait it out. We didn't see the elk at first. We didn't know it was there. Sometimes if you're patient when you see them, things can move around and, and you'll get an opportunity. But this was just a pure coincidence. But it was still a good lesson for me to be patient you're in elk country there's elk all around it, it, it could still happen that was the the first exposure i got hunting with a client using partition bullets he shot this bullet 50 yards i couldn't believe it but this bullet only penetrated four inches what it blew up so fast, you know, the, the onside lung was demolished. Huh. But the offside lung was perfect. Wow. And I thought, I do not like this bullet. <laughs> <laughs> so ever since then, I you know I've paid attention to the different bullets people use. Mm -hmm. And you can kill an elk with anything, and most of it's about shot placement. But if, say, you were had a quartering away shot, and you had to go through the paunch to get your angle right, that partition bullet would have blown up in the guts and not reached the boiler room. And so so for that reason, I'm not a big fan of partition bullets and ballistic tips. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's good that you say that. That's good particularly about partition bullets. But, like, uh, a big question I get all the time is, well, what you know? What gun do I need to use? What caliber do you recommend? And I'm like, I I'm not going to tell you a gun or a caliber. You need to focus on your bullet because it doesn't matter what's going to fire the projectile. It's the it's the it's the bullet that's actually going to kill the elk. And most of the time, the bullets that I can't say that they're more successful, but like or more reliable. Like you're saying, if you got a, a bullet like this, it's gonna if you if you shoot it back a little ways on a quarter way shot, halfway through the gut and coming up behind the ribs, it's not going to make it to the vitals. Where you get a, a different, more solid bullet, probably a little more expensive than people want to spend, is going to do the better killing damage than something that is on the cheaper end. Yep. It makes a difference. It really does. Even going as far as price of bullets and what you choose to hunt with, you know, sometimes, just this year, we had an experience where a guy was trying to save money by reloading, and he learned the hard way. You can only reload a bullet so many times, the shell anyways, because mm -hmm. his shell, he got one shot oh. and he missed. And he had all the time in the world for several follow-up shots, but his shell separated and jammed in his chamber. Oh, no. And I, I said, what, what are you shooting? He told me before he was shooting uh, hand loads that his buddy gave him. And I says, well, how many times has this bullet been reloaded and he says i don't know maybe four or five times 
which might work, but probably not the best. You know, two, three times, you know that bullet's going to, the shell will perform, but after being shot and resized and shot and resized five or six times, the, sh- the casing yeah, that, was... Really yeah, thin. that brass pretty thin. And so he not only jammed his gun, he couldn't get the bolt open. Mm. He ended up going back to the cabin and he, he knocked it out with the shoe, the sole <laughs> of his shoe, and he broke the ejector pin on his bolt. Oh, no. That much force. fell out. So the it's still jammed in there mm. as far as I know. Yeah, you got to put a cleaner rod down there and bang on it with the other shoe, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the type of bullets that you hunt with makes a big difference. And what you were saying, the bullet matters and shot placement matters. And, and just knowing your gun, a lot of people will buy a brand new gun to go hunting elk for the first time. And that's not a bad thing but you need to practice with it and get comfortable with your gun. Mm-hmm. You know, they ask me, what should I bring? And I tell them, bring what you're most comfortable with, what you know works, mm-hmm. you can hit with. You know, shot placement's more important than the power of behind the bullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, several times we've had hunters come out with uh, black eyes and scope ring <laughs> cuts in their eyebrows. And- yep. And when they shoot at my house before we go up to confirm, you know, that their equipment and them are, is all working, uh, sometimes people are scared to shoot. They're scared of their gun because they got scoped once mm-hmm. and now traumatized. <laughs> they can't they can't shoot it confidently. So yeah, they, they, I've never had any clients been, been scoped, but I know there's a couple times the other guys, you come back and the hunter's, Got band-aids all over their eye and all up on their eyebrow. <laughs> like, ouch, how bad was that? First question is like, well, did you get it? Did it was it worth it? <laughs> but yeah, definitely yeah, definitely agree. You gotta be comfortable with what you're shooting and confident in it. Yeah, I've 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 scoped myself before, not bad, but you know, when I first started out hunting and first time shooting a rifle, I didn't know how how bad it was gonna kick and I've scoped myself. But yeah, it, de- it definitely does make you a little worry. Really, nothing really to get over that, other than just to keep practicing. Even if right. you, if you've been scoped, you just got to keep doing it until you get comfortable and build that confidence up. Yep, and it's not a bad idea to not go with such a huge caliber. Practice with a twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Don't flint. Then practice with an empty round. Mm-hmm. You know, have your buddy. You know, test yourself. Put in a live round, and shoot it. Mm-hmm. Have them put in a, a fake round, but you don't know if it's live or fake. And film yourself and see how much you flinch. Right. It'll surprise you. It, I've done it, and it's like, wow, you really got to focus. You know, be comfortable with it, like you said. And it, it just comes with lots of practice. Yeah. Practice, practice, practice. That's harder to do these days with the price of bullets. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. When you're when you're popping off three, four dollars a shot. Sometimes, as much as you practice and all that you can do it comes down to luck yeah uh, i have a, a one of the hunters who's came seven times he's got six bulls and five out of those six bulls were huge nice ones you know, trophy elk really nice bulls and this hunter's not necessarily the best shot in the world in fact he's one of the worst <laughs> and part of that's because he flinches oh. he's a bad flincher but uh first elk he took he ended up shooting it and it he missed completely and it ricocheted off the dirt and came up and hit the elk in the jaw (laughs) and i know the story like elk off the the edge of the hill and shot it again got it right and so the first shot he shot it in the jaw the next year he come out we were at spike camp and this was one o'clock in the afternoon, and we heard this bull just ripping up in the oxbow, just going. And you're like, he's on a hot cow. He's chasing a hot cow. Let's go get him. He's not going to be quiet. He's right. going to set up every minute, every 30 seconds. And that's exactly what he did. So we went up after him. We got on this bull that was doing exactly what we thought he was. He was chasing a hot cow, and he was just 
ripping it really consistent every 30 seconds to a minute he would bugle again and they got in close enough where you could hear them before you could see them and the cow come running past and the bull comes and they stop and look and the bull opened his mouth to bugle and the guy put up his gun and he thought it was the brown of the neck <laughs> he just thought dark hole and he thought it was the brown of the neck he's trying to go for the right in the sternum area right and it, well he <laughs> ended up being the, the elk's mouth oh no shot it right in the mouth and he blew the bottom of the jaw off <laughs> oh. well this hunter twice in a row shot an elk in the jaw <laughs> <laughs> and both of those bulls were fantastic awesome bulls but but the thing is still got them right yeah, he still got them. It's kind of it comes back to there's many ways to do it. And the right way is any way that gets the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if you got to take the jaw off by mistake. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, because I remember what you're saying. I, I think the first time I heard that story years ago is that on that first one, when he ricocheted off the ground, that the bull took off running over a hill, and then you guys ran up after it, and he's just standing there, and like it's almost like the tongue was like, Eight feet long, just dangling, just swinging. Yeah, yeah. He was wondering what in the world. Yeah, and the elk was more confused than scared. He's just like something just happened, and I'm standing there trying to figure out what's going on. And you guys were able to get there fast enough and get another shot in it. Yep, wasn't a a vital shot as far as what you think of as in the chest cavity, but he was bleeding so much out of his mouth. And that bull left a blood trail that was like a pitcher of blood just pouring mm. it. And he was crazy. Uh, up in the Oxbow, there's that place we call the Boulder Field. Yep. Got boulders from the size of cars to houses. And they're all over the place. And you're going to have to go through trails to get through them. And this bull was jumping over car-sized boulders. Oh, wow. And, and some were even bigger. It's like... There is no way that elk went up that thing. Mm-hmm. But the blood trail goes right up and over it. Oh, wow. Definitely a lot of good stories, a lot of good nuggets of information that came out of all that. But probably the big question I want to ask you in all these years, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned, Gaiden? Hmm. Well, I think knowing what you're doing and being confident in yourself and your abilities usually leads to success. Mm-hmm. because any time where I've come across situations where an elk was wounded and we're tracking it and the hunter wants to give up hope because it's been miles and nothing. I was like, well, if you be consistent, you just got to do your due diligence, I guess, way to put it and do all that you can do. We weren't done doing all that we could do to find the elk. So we, Continued to track them, and we found them. I've almost found every single elk that we've tracked. Mm-hmm. All, not all of them. There's been twice, I think, that elk have gotten away. But that's probably because they legitimately didn't get hit hard enough to die, so they got away. Right. That happens. <laughs> but as far as hunt to the end, you've got five days to hunt. Sometimes hunters give up too. And if we can push through, uh, you know, every day is a new day, a new experience, a new opportunity to go hunt elk. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't happen to us. We are blessed. Most of the hunters get filled out earlier, but sometimes we'll hunt to the last day. And most of the time, the hunters that hunt to the last day will get one. Yeah, it's funny. I I can't tell you how many times I experienced that. Is just you start seeing it in their in their eyes and their demeanor and their attitude. Sometimes like Wednesday night or even like after Thursday morning's hunt, the rest of the camp already has their elk, and then they're you know they're dragging their feet. Oh, I'm not gonna get one, dude. We got like Thursday afternoon and Friday to go. I said just keep at it. You know we're gonna we'll, we'll find one. It's hard to even as a guide, it's like frustrating, and you get frustrated you go around camp and and everybody's shooting bulls and your clients, you know, still hunting. You're like, man, what am I doing wrong? But sometimes it's just, you got to put in a little bit extra work. And they were like, you're going back to saying earlier, 
part of it's luck. You know, part of it's yep. it's being in the right place at the right time. And there's a lot of times where like the hunters will complain of like, why are we going to this meadow again? And like, well, this meadow produces. Eventually, you can sit here on this meadow every day for every hunt, and you will kill something. Like that's just how this meadow works. It's it's going to produce. Yep. So there are some things that persistence pays off, and you know, one of the things that I've always thought, you know, not to change the subject much, but going from public land hunting to this private land hunting, um, it's it's the big game changer for success. For this reason, when I was public land hunting, we'd go out and we would hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt. But rarely did we get in the elk. And sometimes we did, but we didn't get the opportunity we needed to make a shot. And over years of doing this, we finally figured out you got to have so many opportunities and chances when we would go public land hunting for a week up in the wilderness, it would take us three or four days just to find elk. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, the elk, we're going to get one chance. Don't blow it. What do we got to do to make this work just right? We got to get downwind. We got to get close. You got to get close. You can't call in an elk. It's very rare to call in an elk when they're, many hundreds of yards away especially if they're surrounded by lots of elk right i call lone elk over especially if they're looking for elk but but so to to set up your scenario you're hunting you got to get the wind right you got to get some terrain to maybe work in your favor find some cover to hide in um make the right sounds at the right time and don't make the wrong ones what would be a wrong one is there is there is there are there sounds that you prefer over other ones on a consistent basis or are you pretty versatile uh pretty versatile but some of them like the estrus mew is very good when you're in close it's good all around i guess Mm mm-hmm what I've noticed on public land, the hoochie mama is so abundantly out there. Every hunter in that pumpkin patch is going, mew, 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 mew. So in the public land, the hunters were teaching the elk run away from the hoochie mama. All right. <laughs> so I personally, I hate that call. I don't like it. Mm-hmm for that reason because everybody has it and they use it wrongly they just mew 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 all the time uh, elk are they're vocal animals and they're social animals and they talk but they don't talk all the time like that most of the time they're silent and mm-hmm. quiet um so going back to the public versus private up where we're hunting we are so blessed to get more than just one encounter in a week we'll go out every morning and every evening and almost every time be in elk somebody somewhere on our place is for sure going to be in elk every day every morning every evening mm-hmm. and so out of five days that's 10 encounters and i've kind of figured out for myself to be successful it took a about five to seven encounters to make it all come together and work out how you want it. You got to just keep going out there and keep trying. It's not going to, sometimes it happens right away on the first go at it, which is great. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it it takes five to seven encounters for the stars to align. So you can get close enough, get the right wind, make the right sounds. You know, footsteps are horrible crunching in the leaves or the ice or a two-legged animal makes a different noise than a four-legged animal correct their hoof is only like four or five inches long by two or three inches wide they're like pencils poking in the ground Mm -hmm. it's quiet you don't hear them 
But we go. We're noisy. And there's really nothing we can do. I don't know of anything that to do to prevent that other than really taking off your boots. But I, I know there's a lot of times where past season was so cold with all the snow and you everything's just crunching no matter what you do. Like, yep. I remember, I think I told you one, it was like, man, it was so noisy. I couldn't even sneak up on a dead guy. <laughs> yep. Uh, and it's true. A lot of times the nature around us, whatever you find it in, if it's too dry or too icy or too windy or too wet or too cold or too hot, there's always too much of something somewhere. So it, Gotta kind of have to mold and adapt to it. If it's too noisy, you get out there early. Mm-hmm. If it's too hot, you gotta get in the trees where they're at. Right. You know, little changes you can make to try to better your odds at being successful. As far as the noises go, uh, there's lots of different noises to make. Sometimes the best noise is no noise at all, being quiet. And that means no zippers, no candy wrappers. No water bottles. <laughs> no water bottles. <laughs> Sometimes the, those noises, uh, they're just not natural in the woods. And if it's a quiet, still morning and cold, boy, sound travels. And the, some of those unnatural sounds will trigger the alarm and you'll, ooh stuff's not going to come in sometimes walking around breaking sticks kind of natural noises but it just depends i i really like hunting in a little light drizzle that's my favorite climate weather to hunt in because it's quiet and you can get away with stuff yeah little 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 drizzle kind of dampens the ground so you know, you're not much sound walking and then even a little bit of wind to help kind of move things. So if they catch a little bit of motion, it just might be a tree swaying and not so much a person. Yep, exactly. Well, we covered a lot here, man. We've been talking a while. And uh, I guess uh, before we wrap this up, is there anything else you want to add? Anything, any cool tips or taxes that, uh, you know, that we haven't covered or that's jumping out of your brain? You're like, oh, man, we should talk about this. Um, not not really a thing that i would say is trust your guide if if people go on a guided hunt the guide should know and and usually does know the terrain knows the the habits of the animals in the area and knows what to expect and hopefully he could pass that along to the hunter and you know as a guide we're always open to suggestions and and we do know what's going on but after two or three days of hunting with somebody they kind of get the hang of what's going on too, and you work together, collaborate together, make a plan, execute it the best way that you can. Sometimes on our place, the the horses are sometimes the only way to go because mm-hmm. a hunter can't walk, or if you take a machine somewhere and that noise scares everything away, sometimes the hunter can't use the horses. So it, it's always need to be adaptive and moldable to the scenario you find yourself in but keep a positive attitude because being persistent knowing what you know through lots of times of doing it you get good at it i I think it was said the more times you do something the easier it gets not because the task is getting easier but your ability to do it increases that's a great quote (laughs) that's an awesome quote sometimes elk calling it's hard at first. You don't know what to do. You might make the wrong noise and you'll learn. Hopefully you'll learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes you make the right noise and you'll learn. And, but the more you do it, the better off you'll be at knowing how you can make a noise. I can't, I don't have the volume to really bust out a big old bugle. But elk hunting's not about the biggest, meanest bugle. Sometimes it's about a, a sneaky bugle mm-hmm. or one thing I've learned about the, the way elk talk is they have emotion in their calls. So if you can portray the emotion that you want the elk to hear, that's more important than the sound of 
of the call itself. It needs to be close, but it doesn't have to be perfect. I've got a good story. This last year, I was able to take my 10-year-old son. His name is Hunter. Okay. <laughs> uh, for the archery season. And we located some elk down in this deep hole. And we snuck in close. And we, we were actually chasing a different elk. But he was wise to us because I think he, he caught a glimpse of the hunters. And he knew something wasn't right because he could hear us and was interested but he saw something he didn't like. So he was always staying aloof. He would, wouldn't go far, and but he'd always come back and talk to us, but he would never come in. As we were playing with this elk, we kind of slowly came down the mountain, and we ran into another elk. And this bull was the loudest, biggest, rippingest bugle bull you could ever think of. And I'll, I just cow called to him only and he answered me and then i'd go up the hill and bugle to that other bull and then i'd go back down the hill and bugle or cow call to this other one that was he was slowly coming in i told the hunter you get down there right away get quick you just cut the distance in half or, or as close as you can get and stay in cover don't let him see you he's gonna keep coming and i'll keep going down slowly and that's what we did and it was really neat because my son was here and got to see all this. Right. We kind of slid down. We kind of forgot about the bull up on the hill that was bugling at us a lot and but not doing anything. And I just focused on this other one that was coming. And I used the, the cow and estrus call. And it was more of a long whine. And what I did was, you know, I, he was bugling at me. And I know it was directly to me. Because it was, you know, when an elk turns their head and then you can feel the volume. Yeah, you can like feel it in your chest. Yeah, sometimes they're pointed at you and then the same bull can bugle pointed away and it sounds like a different bull a long ways away. And then they turn around and bugle right at you. Yep. It's like, oh, he's just pointing a different direction. Well, this bull was pointed right at me, but he wanted me to come to him. And I did a little, but then I was telling him, no, you come to me. And he would bugle at me, and then I would cow call. And you know how they say, cut him off with a bugle? You know, that works for a bugle, but it also works with a cow. And so I was, Ew. and I was loud. Just, Ew. Oh, he was getting mad. <laughs> this bull was mad. It was so cool. <laughs> he was tearing up trees, and you could just hear him making a, a fuss of it. And he was, usually they'll pause between bugles, but he was bugling like five seconds in between his bugles. Oh, wow, just right after was, another. And he was really wanting me to come to him. And I would go a little bit, maybe 10 or 20 yards. We were probably 100 yards apart. But I wasn't, I knew the hunter was up there somewhere, and I had to pull the bull to me, not go to him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, when he would bugle, I would, just a, a, a cow mew. Right with the estrus call it's got a little higher pitch boy it fired him up and he was just mad you could feel the emotion and i tried to have emotion of being a stubborn cow like no you come to me you want to check me out you got to come to me yeah and it worked boy he ended up the hunter was in a great spot and the bull walked 40 yards in front of him and he smacked him perfect awesome awesome but it was just fun. Lots of fun. That's one of the things I like about outfitting is getting to share and experience all of these hunts with all these good people. It's uh Yeah, it's all about a, the people. A lot of memories. A lot of good memories. Mm -hmm. I love meeting new people and I like meeting old friends. They yeah. get to come back. So it's it's always good. Well, I think that's a great spot to end this one on. I can definitely sure we'll probably uh We'll catch up on another podcast in the future, talk about some different things. But I think uh, I think this is like the perfect spot to end it here. Um, before we cut it off, uh, probably what's the best way for everyone to reach out to you? I mean, I think you only got Facebook, right? I do have a Facebook page. I don't have communication through that page, but the, the website has a contact page. So emailing is is the best way. I get a lot of phone calls. I get so many phone calls. Sometimes I don't get back to everybody on the phone. 
but email is much better so I can see it and sort through everything. All right. And what's your, so then, uh, then what's your website? Grouse Mesa Outfitters.com. All right. And the, the email is Grouse Mesa Outfitters at Gmail. There you have it, folks. My good friend, Jonathan Bush with Grouse Mesa Outfitters. Hopefully everyone learned a little something. I know I did. I'm actually thinking about having him back on in the future to discuss specific real-life scenarios of some of the hunts he has guided, almost in the sense of a director's cut, breaking down the situation as to what he was doing and why he was doing it. So, if this is something you would be interested in hearing, or if you're an outfitter or guide and have some knowledge to share, hit me up on Instagram, at the guide sessions. Or shoot me an email at theguidesessions at gmail.com. Also, feel free to reach out if you need help planning a trip. And again, thank you for tuning into this episode. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. So until next time, enjoy your adventure.